Well, today is part three of our series called Finding Purpose in the Pain, and I want to welcome you on this uh, snow day. Uh, you're uh, all joining us online. There's a couple people here. Bill and Jim are running our tech. This is uh, actually live, and uh, Bob is with us today. Bob didn't get the memo, so welcome, Bob. He's here in the room. So those of you in the chat, if you could say hi to Bob, he'll appreciate that. And Bob, can you shout out just a hi to everybody real quick? All right, hopefully you heard that. Bob says hello to everyone here today. Again, this is uh, part three of the series. I want to start today by sharing a picture with you, and I want you in the chat there just to let me know, what is it that you see in this picture that's on the screen right now? What, What do you see there? Go ahead and type that in the chat. What do you see? And Bob, you can shout it out live. What do you see there? Yeah, you see, you see a man, right? You see a face. But what if I told you that there's more to it than just that? Let's give it a little bit of a turn. And then let's give it a little bit more of a turn. Now, what do you see? You see the word liar, don't you? And you see, that's what we need to understand is that so often our brains get locked into just one particular way of seeing things. And that if we'll just shift our thinking and our perspective just a little bit, oftentimes there's another story that may be there. Now, I bring that up because right now we are now at one year that we've been going through this global pandemic, this whole COVID crisis that we've had. And you know, we've heard all kinds of things over the last year, things like this is unprecedented, that nothing like this has ever happened before. But what if I could change your perspective a little bit? And you know, right now with all the the pain and the fear and all the political unrest because of COVID, many people are just like, oh, this is just so horrible. But again, what if we could change that just a little bit and see it from a different perspective? So I want to show you a couple of articles from 1918 when the Spanish flu actually hit throughout the United States. So take a look at this article here, uh, actually a number of articles, and look at some of these headlines here. Spanish influenza is the epidemic here. We have another one. Spanish influenza appears in Salt Lake City, and there is talk of a what? There's talk of a quarantine. Here's one. Churches, schools, movies, saloons, ordered, closed. This isn't something new that has just happened here in 2020 and 2021. This is something that happened a long time ago. Let's look at what the response was back in 1918 to masks here. Everybody must wear flu masks. Wearing a mask isn't a new thing. We've done this before. You see the picture then down on the bottom left-hand corner of people actually wearing their mask. And you can't quite see it, but the woman there on the right, she is wearing a sign that says, wear a mask or go to jail. It was a very serious thing. And of course, people weren't happy about that. And so what do we have? We had anti-mass meetings tonight at the skating rink. And then the final headline there, three shot in struggle with mass slacker. <laughs> a mass slacker, right? Maybe that's what some of you are right now. You're mass slackers. <laughs> But you see the point that I'm making here? This isn't new. King Solomon, thousands of years ago, he said this, there is nothing new under the sun. And so whether it's COVID-related pain or other pain that you're experiencing right now, there's nothing new about it. Pain is a universal thing, and we just need to take a different look at it, a little bit of a different perspective. And so here's what I put on your outline. This is the big point that we're going to make here today, and it's this, that if I only look around and never behind, then I'll never see what is ahead. Again, you've got to look not just at the current situation, not just what you're going through right now. You've got to look to the past in order to see how you've experienced pain in the past, how others have experienced pain in the past, what you can learn from that if you ever want to have hope for the future. 
So again, don't just look at the here and now. Sometimes we've got to look behind in order to look ahead. That's really what I want to talk to you about here today, is how do you look to the past in order to see your future? But before we get to that, let's just do a little bit of a review of what we've talked about so far in the series. So there's been really two big principles that we've looked at. The, the first one is this, that growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Therefore, growth equals pain. You see, anytime you want to grow, that means that something has to change. It's just a part of the, the package deal. But anytime something is changing, that means that something gets left behind. Something is lost. Something got sacrificed. And we don't like that, do we? And so that, that loss, that creates pain in us. But if you do it like the, the formula that we learned in school, that if A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C, it's the same thing here. That if growth equals change and change equals loss and loss equals pain, then therefore growth must equal pain. And so here's the big thought, the big idea for this entire series, and it's simply this. My growth will be dictated by my ability to push through the pain. Now, you know, sometimes it's literally going to be pushing through pain. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So make sure you're back for that. But today, again, what I want to do is I want to look at, okay, how do we look to the past in order to help us right now in the present and to look with hope to the future? So let's look at a, a scripture verse that we actually looked at back in week one of the series. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Apostle Paul writes this, and he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, Paul isn't saying here that all things are good. What Paul is saying is that in all things, God can use it for good. And as you look at the context of Romans chapter 8 here, and you read the rest of that chapter then, what you see Paul is talking about is our salvation. That the pain of Jesus going to the cross and dying, it was out of that pain that God brought good for His plan and for His purpose. And, and that's what we need to realize for our own lives. That out of the pain of the cross, that we can have purpose and hope for the future. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past because of what Jesus did for you, that you can have hope. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. But basically what Paul is talking about here is that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter the pain that you're going through. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because what Jesus did there on the cross for you is he prepared a place in heaven so that one day you'll be pain-free. There's no more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more COVID. It's all gone. And so if nothing else, that's good news for you today. No matter what pain you're going through, that it will eventually cease. But here's the good news of the gospel. You see, it's not just about the future. It's not just about eternity. The power of the gospel is that God can give you victory over your pain right here and right now. That God can take the pain that you're in and turn it around, give you a new perspective so that you can see that there's purpose to it. I want to give you a great example of that from Scripture. It's probably one of the, the most famous examples that we have. And it's of the uh, Old Testament character. His name is Joseph. And, you know, the, the uh, book of Genesis, the, the very first book of the Bible, is 50 chapters. 
The story of Joseph starts in chapter 39 and goes all the way to chapter 50. So about a quarter of all of Genesis is just about Joseph. And so I really want to encourage you to look at this story more in depth yourself in, in, the, in the future. But I just want to sort of summarize it for you. It's going to take me a couple minutes to, to summarize it. But the reason I want to do that is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says something absolutely profound. And actually, it's the sort of theme verse that I've been using throughout this whole COVID-19 crisis. You've heard me say it over and over and over and over again. And again, I want to give you the context of why this was so profound, why it was so powerful, this statement that Joseph makes. So we've actually got to go back even before Genesis 39. And we look at the story of Abraham. You remember Abraham was the one that, that God came to and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a, a nation, what would eventually become the nation of Israel. Well, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons by four different women. You thought your family was weird. I mean, come on now. This guy has 12 sons by four different women. The 11th son born was this guy named Joseph. However, Joseph was the firstborn son to Jacob's favorite wife. And, you know, the, the way the structure worked in that day and time was when it came to, like, inheritance and it came to influence and power and who headed the family, it was always the firstborn son. And so when it came to with uh, Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, that, that's the one that, that should have gotten all the power, all the glory, all the sort of benefits. But Jacob actually gave this to Joseph, the 11th born son. He gave him the honor. Why? Because again, he was the firstborn son to his favorite wife. And all the rest of the brothers, the older brothers, they all knew it. They all knew that Joseph was dad's favorite. One of the reasons that they knew it was that Jacob actually had, had made, tailored this coat of many colors. Now, the reason that this was so special is back in that day and time to dye wool, only rich people were able to do that. And so to have a, a coat that was dyed of many different colors, I mean, the price for this thing would have been extraordinary. But yet he gives this coat to Joseph. Joseph wears it around. He's just a teenager and sort of flaunting it in front of his brothers that I'm dad's favorite. Well, one night he has a dream. And he actually goes and he tells his brother <laughs> this particular dream. He says, you, you know, I, I had this dream where you guys all had like sheaves of wheat. And I also had a, a sheave of wheat. And all of your sheaves bowed down to mine. Now, there's some dreams you should probably just keep to yourself. But Joseph, he, he tells his brothers that. And they're like, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you someday? And he's like, yeah, I think you probably are. This infuriated him. What makes him even more furious is he has a second dream. And he tells him, hey, I had another dream. And in this dream, the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to me. And the interpretation that he gave of that was that the sun represents our dad, the moon represents our mom, all the stars, it represents not just you guys, but all the people of the world are going to bow down to me someday. And again, they're looking at this kid. They're like, who in the world do you think you are? And they're furious with him. So there he is. He's walking around in his coat. He's telling them these dreams that he has. They know that he's dad's favorite. 
And one day they're all out in the field together and they decide to do something about it. These 10 brothers, they throw him down in a pit and they say, we're just going to kill him. We'll take his coat. We'll tell dad that, you know, an animal attacked him. We'll just take some blood and we'll put all over it. Just tell dad that an animal ate him. He's dead. He's gone. So they're planning on killing him. But then sort of cooler heads prevail. And they're like, you know what? Why kill him? Why don't we actually make a little money out of this kid? Let's actually sell him off. And so they wait until a caravan of slave traders comes through and they sell their brother Joseph to these slave traders. And so Joseph ends up all the way down in Egypt and he is bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Joseph, he he could have in that moment really felt bad. He could have felt that pain and, and it brought him misery and agony. But instead, he decided that he was going to do the big thought that we have for this series. That his growth was going to be dictated by his ability to push through the pain. And so that's exactly what he did. He, he doesn't look to everything that's happening right there in the, in the present. He looked to the, the faithfulness of God to him in the past. And he allowed that to give him hope for the future. And so he becomes the very best servant that Potiphar has. In fact, he becomes so good that Potiphar says, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of my entire household here. And so Joseph sort of rises above the pain. But then he's spotted by Mrs. Potiphar. And she looks at him and she says, how are you doing? And Scripture is very, very clear. She just comes right out and says, I want to have sex with you. And Joseph's like, uh, no, ma'am. I, I couldn't do that to my master. And I couldn't do that against my God. And so she cries rape. Now, if you're Potiphar, who are you going to believe? This slave that you bought? Even though he's been a, a good slave, are you going to believe him? Or are you going to believe your wife? He believes his wife. And so he has Joseph arrested and thrown in the prison. So again, Joseph is in pain because he's been falsely accused of rape. And he could have gotten all down on himself. He could have just become miserable about the whole situation. But instead, he says, you know what? No, 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 no. God has been faithful in the past. And so I'm going to use that to look to hope for the future. And so he just does the very best he can there in the prison. And the warden takes notice. And he actually puts him in charge of the rest of the prisoners. So again, Joseph is risen above his circumstances. His his ability to grow was dictated by his, his ability to push through that pain. So he did. Now, one day, there's a couple other prisoners that, that come in. Both of them were actually under the employ of Pot, uh, uh, Pharaoh, I should say. And Pharaoh is like the, the king of Egypt. And one of these guys that got arrested was Pharaoh's baker. The other is his cupbearer. Now, if you don't know what a cupbearer is, basically in that time, to assassinate a king or a pharaoh, the easiest way to do it was to poison them. And so 
each king, each pharaoh would have what was called this cupbearer. And basically it was the person that would take the king's cup. They would drink of the cup first, make sure it wasn't poison. Then they give it to the king and then the king could drink. And so both of these guys, they get arrested and they're there in the jail. One night, both of them have a dream. And they're like, whoa, these were some really weird dreams that we had last night. I don't know what it means. Joseph says, well, tell me, maybe my God could help me to interpret it for you. And so they, they share what these dreams are. The cupbearer says, I had this dream that this, this grapevine just grew up out of the ground and there was three branches on it. And off of each of the three branches were these like huge grapes, grapes like bigger than I've ever seen before. And so I, I took them down and I was actually smashing them into the king's cup and I gave it to the king. What do you think it means? Joseph says, I know exactly what it means. The three branches represent three days. And three days from now, the king is actually going to bring you back. The Pharaoh is going to bring you back into his employ. And you're going to be restored to the position that you had before. And Joseph says to him, hey, when that happens, could you do me a favor? Could you tell him about me? Because I don't really deserve to be here in the prison. I, I was falsely accused of rape. Could you say something to Pharaoh? Maybe, you know, pull some strings and get me out of here? And the cupbearer says, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. The baker says, well, what about my dream? Joseph says, well, tell me what it was. He says, well, in, in my dream, there was like three baskets of bread that I was holding up on my head. But then the birds of the air kept coming down and eating the bread. What do you think it means? Joseph says, the three baskets represent three days. But what it means is that in three days, Pharaoh is going to have your head. You're going to die. Sure enough, both things come to pass. Three days go by, the cupbearer gets returned back to Pharaoh, restored to his position, while the baker is executed. However, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. He doesn't say anything to Pharaoh on his behalf. That's got to be painful again for Joseph. That he was hoping that this this person that he had been so good to would actually do something on his behalf. So there, there's pain in that rejection there. But he rises above it. And he just continues to do what he had always been doing. Trusting God. Looking to God's past faithfulness in order to have hope for the future. Two whole years go by. And now it's Pharaoh that has a dream. And Pharaoh has this, this dream and, and nobody... Nobody is able to understand what it is. He's asking his magicians and his enchanters, and like they had all these false gods there in Egypt, and so he's calling in the people that knew things about that. Nobody knows what his dream means. And it's then that the cupbearer says, hey, you know what? I forgot all about this, but there was a guy when I was in prison that actually was very good at interpreting dreams. Maybe he could figure out your dream. And so Pharaoh orders that Joseph be taken out of the prison, and after a quick shower and shave, there's Joseph standing before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I understand that you know how to interpret dreams. Joseph says, well, I don't, but my God can. So Pharaoh says, here's what my dream was. He says, in fact, I had two dreams that were very, very similar. He says, in the, the, the first dream, there was like these cows, like huge, huge cows that rose up out of the Nile River. Big cows. Cows bigger than I've ever seen. 
Then all of a sudden, seven more like skinny, scrawny cows came up out of the river and ate the fat cows. And then Pharaoh goes on, he, he describes a very similar dream, except this time it's with stalks of wheat. He says to Joseph, well, what's it mean? Joseph says, well, actually both dreams mean the exact same thing. That the seven fat cows, they actually represent seven years of plentiful blessing here in Egypt. Like blessing with harvest and every other resource in ways that you've never seen before. There'll be so much stuff that, oh man, you, you won't even be able to consume all of it. But then the seven skinny cows, they represent seven years of famine. That after that seven years of bountiful blessing, there's going to be seven years of just devastating, devastating famine. And Joseph says to him, Pharaoh, here's what you could do about it though. During those seven years of plenty, take 20% of everything that everybody makes and just sort of set it aside in reserve. Again, there's going to be so much stuff that they won't be able to eat it anyway. There's going to be so many resources that they can't even consume everything anyway, so just set 20% of it aside. That way, when the seven years of famine come, there'll be plenty left over. In fact, there'll be so much left over that not only will everybody in Egypt be able to eat, but all the surrounding nations will actually like, have to come to you and, and ask to buy food from you. And so you'll become more powerful than you've ever been. You'll become richer than you've ever been. Pharaoh says, that's a wonderful idea. In fact, it's such a great idea. I want to put you in charge of actually running this program. And so now here we got Joseph that went from the pit to the prison. Now he's in the palace. He's actually in the palace. He is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And sure enough, for seven years, there is great, bountiful blessing that comes upon the land. And Joseph is in charge of every single household. Every single person has to bring in 20% and they store it aside so that when that famine comes at year seven, they're ready. And as the years go on, not only is everybody in Egypt able to eat, but just as Joseph had predicted, other nations, they can't. And so they're sending delegations of people to come to Joseph. And, and basically, they, they bow down to him and they plead, can we please buy some of your reserves? You got people from everywhere coming in, bowing down to Joseph there, pleading, including a delegation of 10 brothers from the land of Canaan. Joseph right away recognizes that this is his 10 brothers. Now, he sort of toys around with them for a little bit doesn't really reveal that it's him. But they, they don't recognize it's him. Why? Because Joseph has been living now so long in Egypt that he looks like an Egyptian. He, he's talking like an Egyptian. And for you 80s fans, he's walking like an... Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> he's walking like an Egyptian. They, they don't recognize him. So again, he, he's toying around with them for a little bit. Eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers. And there's more to the story I, I won't even cover right now. But eventually it gets to the place where they're like, you know what? He's going to kill us for everything that we've put him through. And that's when we get to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph, he, he looks at him and he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
Let me read that again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, whatever pain it is that you're facing today, whether it's physical pain, relational pain, vocational pain, financial pain, whatever pain it is, God wants to take your pain and turn it around and use it for good. In Joseph's case here, that's exactly what he did. He took all that pain from being in the pit, being rejected by his brothers, all that pain of being in the prison after he's falsely accused of rape, all that pain of being rejected by the cupbearer and not being remembered by him. He took all that pain, he turned it around and he used it for good, the saving of many, many lives. In other words, God will never ever waste a pain. And listen to me, if you will allow it, your pain that you're going through right now can become one of your greatest gifts because it can lead to the greatest season of growth that you've ever experienced. Again, growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Therefore, growth equals pain. Unfortunately, many people don't get to that place. Many people waste their pain. And so what I want to do in the remainder of today's message is just real quickly give you three steps to make sure that you're not wasting your pain. Step number one is this. I must look past my present pain. Again, I must look past my present pain. When you're in the midst of whatever is painful for you right now, it's so easy to get caught up in the here and now. And that's what could have happened for Joseph. When he's in the pit, when he was in the prison, he could have been like, God, where are you at? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? God could have felt absent to him. And maybe God feels absent to you right now in the midst of your pain. But you got to get to the place where you look beyond that, that you look past the present and you look to God. Listen, if you're in miserable pain, you've got a choice. Either you can just wallow in that pain or you can find purpose in the pain. And quite frankly, the work is basically the same. So why not find purpose? Why not use it for your good and for God's glory? Your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry. And I'm going to be talking to you about that more in the coming weeks. But again, point number one, I must look past my present pain. Point number two then, I must look past the pain that others have caused me. You know, oftentimes pain can be self-inflicted, but other times pain is brought on by other people. And I've shared this with you in the past. I shared it with you already in the series that hurt people hurt people. That's what happens with Joseph here. His brothers, they were hurt because dad was playing favorites. And so what did they do? They lashed out and they hurt their brother Joseph. What about Potiphar's wife? Well, apparently Potiphar was very, very successful. He was a good businessman. And, and maybe what had happened was he was so successful with his business, so devoted to his business that he forgot about his wife. He was neglecting her. And so in that hurt and in that rejection, when Joseph then also rejects her, she just takes it out on him. And so the same thing happens in your life. Hurt people hurt people. Some of the pain that you have today is because others have brought that on you. But you've got to learn to look past that. You've got to take your eyes off of that. 
and realize that what Satan meant for evil, what other people mean for evil in your life, God wants to turn it around and use it for good. But you've got to look past it. You can't dwell on it. Point number three then. I must look at the past faithfulness of God. You've got to look at the past faithfulness of God. Last week I shared with you a story about how when I was a professional magician, uh, the Shoney's Corporation was like one of my largest clients. And I told you about how they sort of fired me. They let me go with a message they left me on an answering machine. And I shared with you that that was the first time I realized really how much I had grown in my faith. Because what happened in that moment is I had such peace about the situation. And I remember the reason that I had peace in the situation is immediately this thought came to mind that God has been faithful to me in the past, so why should this time be any different? And that's what happened with Joseph in this story. He kept thinking about the past faithfulness of God, that God keeps bringing me through bad situation after bad situation after bad situation. So if he's done it in the past, what's going to make this bad situation any different? And you need to do the exact same thing. You need to look at God's past faithfulness in your life in order to have hope for the future. Now, I know some of you are going, Gilbert, I don't have a story like that of you know, getting fired or you know, being in a pit or in a prison. You know, I don't have stories like that of God's past faithfulness. Well, first of all, I would say I highly doubt it. I mean, if you really think about it, God has been so gracious and so faithful to you in the past. But it, listen, even if you don't have a story like that, just think to the cross. Think to the cross. Again, out of the pain of the cross, God's past faithfulness of sending his son to die on your behalf, that's enough to give you hope for the future. Out of the pain of the cross comes victory. Victory not just over your sin, but victory over whatever it is you're going through right now. Again, it may be COVID-related. It may be something completely different. But God's past faithfulness is a guarantee to you that He wants to do something about your future. That He wants to bring you through the pain and through the misery. Listen, He always has and He always will be faithful to you. So if you're ever tempted to forget that, that, that thought of, of His faithfulness, just think to Jesus. Think to the cross. To help you sort of cement that idea in your mind, we are going to share in communion today. And if you haven't yet grabbed some elements, uh, go ahead and real quickly run to your kitchen and grab uh, some, some juice and some bread or some crackers or you know, something to symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. I'll give you just a second to, to go ahead and do that. Jesus was so faithful to us. So faithful that He gave his life up on the cross for us. But before he did that, he said, look guys, I want you to always remember what I did for you. And so communion is just symbolic of Jesus giving up his body and Jesus shedding his blood. And so we're going to share in communion here today. We're going to do it a little bit differently than how we typically do it. We're still going to share it together, but we're going to share it together over about the next two or so minutes. And in just a second, we're going to have some scriptures on the screen for you. We're going to have some music on the screen for you. And just sort of at your own pace, I want you to, to participate in the body and the blood of Jesus. And I want you to just sort of take this whole thing about pain and surrender your pain to Him here in this.
because he surrendered himself on the cross. Not only so your sins could be forgiven, but so you can overcome that pain as well. We've got to learn to look past the pain. So let's together right now go ahead and share over the next two minutes in this communion celebration. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity we've had to gather together online just to remember this great story of, of Joseph who overcame his pain, all the trials, all the persecution, all the rejection, everything that had happened to him. He was over to, able to overcome it and actually grow. And you were able to use that for your glory and for your purposes that you took what Satan meant for evil and you turned it around and you used it for good, the saving of many lives. And Jesus, we thank you that out of the pain of the cross, you took what Satan meant for evil and you saved us. You saved us not only from our sin, you saved us not only so that we can spend eternity with you forever where there will be no more sin or sickness or pain or disease or crying or death or any of those other things, but you also gave us the power through your blood to take a new perspective, to shift our thinking and see pain in new light and see that, God, you can use it for your glory and you can use it for your purposes. And so, Lord, help us just to do that today if we haven't already. Just shift our thinking, shift that perspective of how we're seeing this whole COVID thing, how we're seeing all the other pain that's going on in our lives. Shift our thinking so that we can see You in it. We can see You and Your glory. We look past all those things and we look to You with faith 
And we look to you in hope. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.